Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Again this morning, we're going to take a look at Pentecost in the Bible. What is Pentecost? What is Pentecostalism? And what does it mean for us today? Always remembering that Pentecost Sunday is the birth of the church in the book of Acts. Now, City Church is based on three pillars. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. Biblically-based means we take the Bible seriously. We believe it is the inspired word of God. Relationally driven because the Bible's very clear that relationship is the essence of life. Jesus taught that. Jesus said when looking at the 613 laws of the Older Testament, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your Turn to your neighbor and said, you are them. There you go. Now, um, with that said, what Jesus taught was relationship is the essence of life. There's nothing more important in life than relationship with God, relationships with people. The other thing is we're a spirit-led church. The reality of it is, is that it is impossible to read the Bible and not know that the Holy Spirit is the central agent and the central work of God from Genesis to Revelation. As a matter of fact, here's a quote that I wrote, and it'll be up on the screen. Throughout the Bible, the work of the Holy Spirit is central to everything God does. From the grand work of creating the cosmos in Genesis 1 to the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels to the deeply personal baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is what we'll begin to look at this morning, that empowered Jesus' disciples on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. You see, the Holy Spirit is the central active agent of God in the entire story of the Bible. Now, what we're going to do is we're very methodically going to walk through Scripture. And the reason why I want to do that is because I know we have a lot of people at City. Some are looking outside of faith. They're kind of looking over the wall at faith. They're not really a Jesus follower yet. They haven't been following him into his kingdom yet. There are others that are new at that. There's others that have walked with Jesus for decades but know almost nothing about the work of the Holy Spirit specifically presented on the day of Pentecost. So what we're wanting to do is to gather around Scripture together since we're a biblically-based church. Now, a couple of things to know. First of all, the Greek word pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. It's translated three ways, spirit, wind, and breath. So in the Older Testament, whenever you see the wind of God, it's indicative, or wind, it's indicative of God's spirit. Interestingly enough, the Hebrew word is the same, ruach. It's the same. It means spirit, breath, and wind. Another thing just to simply make note of as we begin to look in the scriptures is that when we move towards Pentecost and the day of Pentecost, Jesus is the one that said it would happen. So what I want us to do is start with Jesus and then we're going to take a look in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit is outpoured and the church, what we have come from, was born on the day in the Feast of Pentecost. All right, so let's begin our kind of our journey together. Jesus, when he knew he was leaving, began to speak about sending the Spirit. 
It happens many times in the Gospels. Here's two quick examples. John 14, 16, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. John 14, 25 through 26, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, when he gives his in-depth teaching on prayer, says the following, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, Jesus uploads the basis of prayer that you can ask, actually ask the Father for the Spirit. You can actually do that. So what I'm going to do now is we're going to now begin to move towards the book of Acts where the day of Pentecost appears. But what I want us to understand is, especially for those of us that are newer to faith or checking out faith, is that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and what's the third one? Luke. Guess who wrote the Gospel of Luke? A guy named Luke. Very good. By the way, he was a doctor, and as a doctor, there are more healings in Luke's Gospel than any other Gospel. Why? He's a physician. He understands the power of the Spirit to heal. The other thing that you find in Luke's gospel that appears more than any of the other gospels is the work of the Holy Spirit. Luke is a medical doctor, looks at the life of Jesus, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is incredibly moved by the miraculous healings and the work of the Spirit. These are two things. Now, what Luke does is he writes his gospel about the life and ministry of Jesus and then also writes the second phase, which is known as the book of Acts. So Luke writes the gospel of Luke, and he also writes the book of Acts. And what is the book of Acts about? The book of Acts is about what does it look like for people to follow Jesus when he is gone? What does it look like? He's been their leader. Now he is dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. And now what does it look like to still follow him? Have you ever thought about it? It's kind of odd to follow a dead dude. You ever think about that? By the way, Christianity is the one religion that will tell you its leader is dead, but still follows the exact same leader because he's alive. It's very interesting. Now, Jesus, knowing this, says, I'm going to leave, but I will send the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. Now, with that said, let's take a look at the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, the apostle, or I'm sorry, Dr. Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, uploads to us what does it look like to follow Jesus after he's gone. All right, our reading begins in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here's what the text says. We're going to read a lot of scripture. In my former book, what was his former book? The Gospel of Luke. In my former book, Theophilus. Now, if you look at the name Theophilus, you will notice there's Theo and then Philos, which is love. So the name means lover of God. Most biblical scholars believe that this may be an actual guy, but it also may not be. In other words, Luke's writing his letter to anyone who loves God. 
If you are a lover of God, this book is for you. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Notice that's been our theme for the past two years. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's where the theological term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, comes from. Now, reading on. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you, going, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Notice the kingdom theme. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus, as he's ascending to the Father, says to his disciples, look guys, I'm leaving I know you're freaking out, but what I need you to do is go back to Jerusalem and to wait. And what you're waiting for is the Holy Spirit that I've told you about and that God the Father has promised. And when that Spirit hits you, you will receive power, which in Greek is dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite from. In other words, you will get spiritual dynamite to do life. Then what we're going to read about next is the actual day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1, where the Holy Spirit is poured out and the church is born. Acts 2, 1 through 4, says the following. When the day of Pentecost, that's today. When we're commemorating the day of what? Pentecost. Now, what is Pentecost? It's really important to know. Pentecost is actually one of seven Jewish feasts. It's a Jewish feast that was commanded by God in the first five books of Moses. The most famous is what's called Passover. That's the first feast of the year. It's a feast that every Jewish person celebrates. The feast of Pentecost happens 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Many Jews, when they did their lifetime pilgrimage at the time of Jesus, would go to Jerusalem for Passover, and they would stay in Jerusalem for 50 days to celebrate both feasts. Now, the Feast of Pentecost is again 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Penta is 50 in Greek. So 50 days after Passover, it's actually seven Sabbaths, seven weeks, plus one day, and that's where you celebrate the feast. Now, another interesting thing to know, that feast, the Feast of Pentecost, celebrated the Feast of Weeks, because there's seven weeks, 
and it was called the Feast of Harvest. It's where you bring in the initial grain and you offer it as a celebration to God. All of this is commanded in the first five books of Moses. Now, what gets really fascinating, though, is by the time of Jesus, this feast, the Feast of Pentecost, was also to commemorate the giving of the law of Moses. The rabbis believed that it was 50 days after the Passover that Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai and he receives the law of God. And therefore, because God's law has now been brought down through Moses, God has a people for himself. And the center of the Israelite people, the people of God, is the law. You're going to live by 613 of them. It's a lot of laws. And so Moses goes up on a mountain. When he goes up on the mountain, there's fire and thunder and lightning and the mountain shakes and the demonstrative presence of God is made known to everyone who's watching and Moses receives the law. Now, with that in mind, I want us to now look at the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, here's what the text says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. What did Jesus tell them when he was being ascended? He said, go to Jerusalem and wait, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you dynamite. That's a good thing. And so it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. In other words, they did what Jesus said. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. In other words, the Spirit of God comes in, wind, spirit, breath, same Greek word. So the wind of God, the spirit of God, this violent wind comes from heaven and goes whomp into the room and then fire appears and it gets very personal. It separates and and lands on each one of them. Reading on, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. So they're sitting in a room And suddenly the Spirit of God comes as Jesus and the Father had promised. When the Spirit pours into this room, it gets resting on each of them and the place where they're at is absolutely shaken. Just so you know, that's an exact replica of what happened to Moses on Sinai. When Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai to receive the law, the text says that the mountain was shaken, the wind of God was blowing, the fire of God fell on the mountain, and the law was given. God reenacts the giving of the law of Moses, but this time he's giving his spirit. And that is awesome news. And I want to tell you why. You can either live by 613 laws or you can have the spirit that empowers you to do it. Which would you rather have? I can't even remember 613 of anything. I don't know how you are. But now what God does is he reenacts the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, but now he's birthing a new people for a new kingdom with a new king and it's the outpouring of his spirit. That's what it is. Now, when we look on, what we discover is there are people who are outside that room 
They see and hear everything that's happening. Those people in the upper room pour out into the streets, and there's a response. So here we go. Acts 2, 5 through 13. Here's the response to what God does to the disciples and others in the upper room. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? They were there for the feast of Passover, and they had stayed 50 days until the feast of Pentecost. They were there from all over the known world. Picking up our reading, it says, when they heard a sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears their own native language? By the way, what happens next is a long list of Jewish people from different people groups all over the world, half of which I can't even pronounce. So picking up our reading after that long list, they say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other or one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. They're drunk. Now, just so you know, most biblical scholars will tell you what happened right there was actually the redemption of the Tower of Babel. Because the Tower of Babel, God brings judgment against people because they're not listening to him and he confuses language. People scatter. This time, God gives language and it brings unity and purpose. So God's actually redeeming what happens in the Older Testament. So God now gives language to people where they're speaking languages they have never learned. Then the people say, what does this mean? And others say, they're drunk. They've had too much wine. Now let's pick up the Apostle Peter as he gets up in front of the crowd in the book of Acts and he explains what has happened. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now, I love his defense. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. What a defense. Reading on. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So now what Peter's doing is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knows the personal experience he just had in the upper room. He's the leader of the apostles, and he gets up there, and he remembers what the prophet has said would happen. The prophet Joel, hundreds of years before this event, said the following. In the last days, God says... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and, that's huge. God is now gonna pour out a spirit on men and women and boys and girls. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So what we discover is Peter gets up in front of this crowd that knows the Older Testament backwards and forwards, and he explains to them biblically what has just happened. Then we skip some verses in his sermon, and we pick up the end of his sermon on the day of Pentecost. 
Acts 2, 36 through 41. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, that's me and you. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up front and says what God just did is for everyone everywhere that God's going to call through Jesus. It's available to anyone. Reading on, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. By the way, I have a quick trivia question, deeply theological. Do you think this is a corrupt generation? Then you need the Spirit. The argument has never gone away. You need the Spirit. Reading on, it says, those who accepted this message were baptized in about how many? 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a great first sermon. You imagine preaching your inaugural sermon and 3,000 say yes. Wow. But you see, there's something else that's happening here. Remember the day of Pentecost is the reenactment of giving the law of Moses? When Moses receives the law, he comes down the mountain and 3,000 people were killed because of idolatry. When God now does it the second time with the power of the Spirit, 3,000 get saved. Isn't that amazing? So God literally reenacts Mount Sinai and says, you know what? By the power of my Spirit, I'm going to be saving you. You can live by the Spirit or you can live by the law, but I would encourage you to live by the Spirit because the Spirit gives life. Now, what we have is this powerful story of the birth of the church. And what I know is, is that there's a lot of people sitting here going, okay, okay, you've convinced me biblically. Now, what about the tongues thing? What about that? Well, here's what I want to tell you. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old, and that happened when I was totally by myself. And I'll be honest with you, I have spoken in tongues privately almost every day since then. And oftentimes when people know that, they'll say to me, but you're not weird. Because don't people that do that like eat scorpions and drink poison and handle snakes? No, that's not how this thing works. Actually, what you discover is you've got a guy named the Apostle Peter, my namesake, who the last time he'd been with Jesus denied him three times and left him high and dry. Could have saved Jesus and didn't. He denied him and betrayed him three times. But after Pentecost and the power of the Spirit empowers Peter's life, he gets up front in front of the exact same crowd with boldness and assurance and effectiveness. It's what he does. It's because of the movement of the Spirit of God in his life. Now, let's be clear. The disciples that were following Jesus were already Christians before the day of Pentecost. 
They were already Jesus followers. And by the way, the moment you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The moment you say yes, when you say yes to follow Jesus into his kingdom, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a second act of grace that the Spirit of God does. The Greek word baptizo means to saturate inside and outside like a sponge. So many people would say, well, so are you saying that tongues are the gifts of the Spirit or the baptism is salvation? No, that's not even what the Bible says. Not even close. But there is a second act of grace that God does, and we see it throughout the book of Acts. We see Paul address it in the book of Ephesians and the book of Corinthians. To Paul, this is the given reality for the life of a Jesus follower. Now, what we're going to do as a church family is we are going to provide an opportunity this coming Wednesday night, Pastor Blake already mentioned it, where we're going to gather in this sanctuary and we're going to have a time where we look at Scripture and we're going to answer questions about the fullness and the work of the Spirit. And so if you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to come here this coming Wednesday night at 6.30 and we're going to do exactly that. The other thing is, that will be recorded. That's the plan. And so if for whatever reason you cannot be here, but you would still like to hear what happens, we're going to do our best to record that. And then on June the 11th, here in the sanctuary, we're going to have a night of worship and prayer where people will gather together and they're going to spend some time worshiping and look towards God for the fullness of his spirit. I know that oftentimes when people hear a message like this, They're kind of looking at it going, I don't really know about this. Not really sure how I want to handle this. What I can tell you is, is that what God did in my heart and life didn't make me weird. What it did was gave me the power of the Spirit to move through life with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been phenomenal. It's been amazing to experience that. I also will tell you, I've watched physicists at Princeton experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you're smart, I will tell you, you're not smarter than them. So I know a lot of intellectuals will go, well, I'm too smart for that. Wrong. You're not. Because I've literally observed how God has done this and worked in people's hearts and lives. You know what it takes is an openness. What it takes is believing what Jesus said. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him or to her who would ask? I think a lot of believers turn to the 613 laws to do the Christian life because they're not really open to the Spirit. And yet what we find in the day of Pentecost, it's almost like you have a choice. Do you want to live by the law or do you want to live by the Spirit. I choose, Jesus chose, the apostles chose, and the Newer Testament chooses the Spirit. Let's stand together. As we stand together, I would encourage us just to take a moment to open our hearts to the Lord.
God, as we stand into your presence, we do so as a group of women and men who are open to the fullness of your kingdom. I pray over my own life that you would fill me to overflowing with your spirit. God, in this corrupt generation, how desperately we need women and men who walk with Jesus closely and who are open to the spirit of God's work fully and freely through our hearts and through our lives. So Jesus, I pray a blessing of the gifts of the spirit, that incredible work of the Holy Spirit in and through all of us. Jesus, do your work among us. Let your spirit work fully and freely. And we trust you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.